Let's go! Coming to you from the basement of the basement of WCPT 820 in Chicago, it's the Sports Cubicle. I'm Paul Shavari with Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver. This week, we have a full slate for you. Cody Bellinger re-signs with the Cubs. Are MLB owners finally reversing the game on super agent Scott Boris? Mercado and Marver talk about that and more. Mercado also had a chance to talk to professor of economics at Smith College, Andrew Zimbalist, an expert on how stadiums get publicly funded and how the result of the economy of that city that might be able to pay for that as Chicago faces the chance to have the Bears and or the White Sox build a new stadium. They talk about how owners use local government to gain public funding for stadiums. And as taxpayers, what hidden fees should we be aware of? And finally, on the show today, Singer-songwriter Keith Semple joins us in studio, and he's promoting his latest release. You won't want to miss that. All that and more on the Sports Cubicle. Mercado, take it away. Didn't hide the fact internally that I, I did want to come back here. And, you know, I've loved Wrigley Field. I love the fans. Me and my family enjoyed, you know, Chicago. And when it was, you know, coming towards the end and everything was kind of coming to light a little bit and this was definitely something that definitely I wanted and um, both sides agreed on and super happy that it worked out the way it did. We were so close last year, really got banged up towards the end and you know fought till the very end. We got so close and for me to come back here with the almost the same team to experience playoff in Chicago is something that I want to do and it's something that I want to experience and it's you know big part of the reason why I did want to come back here. So you know like I said I'm, I'm glad it all worked out and that's that's what I'm a Strive to do every day. That audio courtesy of Marquee Sports Network. That was the returning Cody Bellinger in Arizona, reuniting with his teammates and the Chicago Cubs and new manager Craig Council as he signed a three-year $80 million deal with opt-outs in the 2024 and 2025 season. And we're here to break it down on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. And we need to discuss... The game of chicken played between not only the Chicago Cubs, but all the other owners and general managers, all the different teams, and Scott Boris with his clients and where they're going to sign, what kind of deals were going to be made, how that impacted the Chicago Cubs, what they're going to be able to do with their roster, and so much more. So why don't we actually take a quick listen, Marver, to some of the key participants in these negotiations. Why don't we start first with the head honcho of the Chicago Cubs, Jed Hoyer, on getting this deal done and what it means for the Chicago Cubs bringing back Cody Bellinger. Yeah, I mean, I think really with, with with Scott and with me, I think you can take the conversation back to July. You know, I think we started the conversation on this in July. Um, I think Scott will attest. Like my my comments to him about Cody have never wavered at all. I felt all along, you know, great fit for the team, um, great fit in the clubhouse. You know, love the person, the family, all those things. So that was that never wavered. I think that you know. We probably talked more often than Scott would have liked, you know, but I feel like we, um, you know, I think, I think with any negotiation, um, I think there's sometimes a mis, you know, misperception that we just fire offers back and forth to each other. I think there's a lot of talking about what each side wanted, and I think over the last kind of five to seven days before we got a deal done, I think we kind of um, targeted a deal that made sense for both sides, and um, at that point, we did start making offers and talking more often and get ser- getting serious, but... We had a lot of talks, and like I said, our, our comments about Cody 
and our desire to bring him back never wavered. It was just a matter of you know, finding the right fit. And that audio courtesy of Marquee Sports Network. So, Marvin, the first thing I want to hit on after hearing Jed Hoyer speak is what this means for the Chicago Cubs, not only for the roster as it's constructed for opening day, but also later on in the season, also in the future. I think this move for the Chicago Cubs really opened up a lot of different doors for not only Craig Council, not only Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins, but also Cody Bellinger as well as Scott Boris. And we'll get to Scott Boris in just a second. When you're bringing back a quality player like Cody Bellinger, what you're doing is you're opening up the lineup. You're giving so much flexibility to Craig Council. You're allowing this team to grow and to give them a certain amount of leeway to start the season, to get things right, and to be able to utilize spring training in a way that they can develop Christopher Morale at third base. They can find a spot for Michael Bush. They aren't rushing Pete Crow Armstrong. Now your lineup is even more honest, putting Cody Bellinger in the middle of it. This also, for the front office, allows them to have financial flexibility if they want to go make a trade in the middle of a playoff push. With this move too, the Chicago Cubs have an abundance of talent in the minor league system. Now they can afford to take a risk and trade, package some of these young prospects, and try to bring in somebody that's going to help you win right now. And still looking in the future as you're developing this talent, as you're evaluating talent, scouting it, using your pitching lab. Next season, you are back in the negotiation table with Cody Bellinger, and you're able to make a decision on whether or not to bring it back based off his performance this past season. What you project them to be. Cody Bellinger and Scott Boris have the same thing. If he has an MVP type season, he can go ahead and demand even more money than he did this past offseason. And if you're the Cubs and there's a free agent out there, if there's a move to be made out there in the offseason heading into 2025, they can now make that move. And in a position where the Cubs are already the divisional favorite, this solidifying it, I think they put themselves in a great position to start the 2024 Major League Baseball season. Marvelous, your thoughts on Cody Bellinger returning to the Chicago Cubs and how it impacts the Cubs on and off the field. Well, it gives a whole new positive feeling, and it keeps Crow Armstrong in the minors probably for development. So it's a plus and a plus. And it, 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 it opens up the possibility of Bush you know, can still be at first base, I guess. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of pluses in this uh, in this move. I was feverishly hoping it would happen because I thought that without Bellinger, this team would not have a chance to compete. And with him, they absolutely do, in my view. You know, and there's, there's still questions abounding, such as third base, and maybe they'll put Bush there. But, it's you know, in the pitching staff, it's there's still some question marks there, but they're as good as, you know, for sure, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and St. Louis. And, you know, it's just a question, you know, so, since council knows all Milwaukee secrets, maybe that will help too. <laughs> but uh, I think in that division, it's highly winnable. And with the way that the the season is structured and the playoffs, I think they have an excellent shot to make the playoffs this year. And don't get me started on full in, <laughs> in league play because I think it's a joke. I, my only worry is, is someone in the pitching staff, although they did sign a closer, so they have a closer. They won't have, you know, so and, and their rotation is still in a little bit of flux. I mean, they obviously have some pieces that, that look like they're going to be pretty regular. Uh, in terms of up the middle, I mean, it's pretty solid now with, with the catching short and second and center field. Uh, the corners, I mean, Suzuki and Hap, I mean, everything's good. Uh, and uh, third base, like I said, the question mark. And maybe Morel will end up there although he's a better DH. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that they've got all the pieces in place as long as nobody gets hurt. And uh, 
as long as uh, they're able to to get what they can get, you know, out of steel and uh, and the uh, you know, and now that the that Suzuki is somebody he can communicate with in his own language, uh, it should work out pretty good. And then uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, th- th- I think it'll be interesting. We'll get to see the World Series rings handed out to the Rangers to start the season. So maybe that will be like some kind of vibrant center for them to uh, to do do really well. I mean, then it's an interesting schedule though. They'll come on with the Rockies and the Dodgers and then go on the West Coast right away. So it's kind of a crazy schedule. And like I say, you know, because of the way it is, you make they make three, four different trips to the West Coast, which is crazy. So I mean, the first one's right away. They go to San Diego on April 8th. So should be interesting. So that was the Cubs side of this entire situation. But what I want to hit on really fast before we get out of here is the Scott Boris effect. So why don't we actually listen to the super agent right now? Here's Scott Boris at the Cody Bellinger press conference this past week over in Mesa, Arizona with the Chicago Cubs. Scott, would, 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 would you say that maybe a longer term contract was, was the initial goal and you, you, you settled on something a little shorter? How would you characterize that all? Well, when you when you represent a player of Cody's caliber, and you're talking about an MVP talent um, who's had irregularity outside of consequences that are unrelated to him, like um, a 250-pound pitcher stepping on his ankle, or a uh, a teammate rather aggressively in celebration <laughs> causing a, a an eventual surgery, those are things that are not related to to Cody or his durability or what he does. And, and free agency is like a, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a turkey and a, and a thermometer. You kind of have to go in, see what the temperature is, evaluate it. And Cody and I agreed that, that we're going to look at this in a couple ways. We're going to have two positive outcomes for this process. And the one positive outcome we knew that, and, and Jed was very clear that they wanted to uh, contract with Cody and, and, and have him on the team. And our dynamic was to determine whether there was, uh, what, what it was on the other end with, with a contract of great length. And as we got through that process and looked to it, is that that's certainly where we let Jed know that on something like this, with this kind of structure, with this kind of flexibility, with these kinds of things, it's what we're looking for. And, uh, and we had mutual agreement and understanding that this, this type of structure was agreeable to both of us. So, um, you know, teams, each team functions in their own way, as they always do. And you have owners who want to be directly involved with a roster negotiations and things along that, and then you have uh, other owners who the Cubs operate and Tom operates in a different way. And it's certainly, I'm amenable to anything. I've I've never called Tom about Cody Bellinger. I always called Jed because Jed and I frankly talk about a lot of things in baseball all the time. And so we have a, a great communication system with the Cubs, and uh, and certainly, you know, Tom and I talk about baseball. And we run into one another, but it's it's something that's a very Mutual and amicable uh, relationship top to bottom here. And that audio, courtesy of Marquee Sports Network. 
I'll say this much. I saw a lot of discourse about and a lot of sentiments saying the Chicago Cubs beat Cody Bellinger in negotiations. The Cubs won up Cody Bellinger in negotiations. I actually think this is a rare case in which the team and the player both won. The team got a wonderful player at a great price and are in a position to win a lot of games and have flexibility for their roster for this year and the future. I think for Cody Bellinger, he goes to a situation where he's comfortable, where there's not a lot of pressure, where he's making a lot of money, where he does have some guarantees, and that he can still earn a heck of a lot of money if he plays to the ability he believes he could play at. The loser in this entire situation, if you would call a loser whose client made $80 million, is Scott Boris. Because Scott Boris played a game of chicken with not only the Chicago Cubs, but all of Major League Baseball. And his clients are the ones who are paying for it, with guaranteed years on potential deals, guaranteed money on potential deals. Now, he still made a lot of money. Cody Bellinger has made a lot of money. Matt Chapman's going to make a lot of money. Blake Snow's going to make a lot of money. Jordan Montgomery's going to make a lot of money. But this was a rare offseason in which it feels like Major League Baseball owners and their front office beat Scott Boris. And Scott Boris has to hold this L. Again, it's an $80 million L, but has to hold this L and look at his clients these next few years or might not carry the same amount of weight as it did years prior that he can guarantee these players get X amount of money at X amount of years. I think Scott Boris was the loser in this situation. What do you think, Barber? <laughs> I, I see your perspective. I mean, uh, Scott, I mean, Scott Boris probably thinks he won. Don't they always? <laughs> I see your point. Your point is valid. I, I hadn't looked at it that way, but you know, for for the one few times, I think I'm going to turn my turn my thoughts and agree with you. <laughs> But with that, we want to know your thoughts. Let us know. We're all over the universe. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle and search us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Apple, at Sports from the Couch. And of course, our SoundCloud over at WCPT 820. Just search for the Sports Cubicle. We got more coming up next here on the Sports Cubicle. He's Dan Marver. I'm Mike Mercado. We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. And coming up in just a few short moments, we are going to play my conversation with economics professor at Smith College, Massachusetts, Andrew Zimbalist, about the economic impact brand new stadiums have on the state, the city, and of course, the taxpayers. What the motivation is of billionaires to threaten fan bases of relocation. And of course, what taxpayers should be looking out for through these times as negotiations between billionaires, the city, the state, the counties are going on. But before we get to that conversation let's set the table just a few days ago jerry reinsdorf and his team went down to springfield to talk to illinois governor jb pritzker and in that meeting it was reported that the chicago white Sox and related midwest are asking for one billion in public money to build their proposed new stadium and that's on top of expected 500 million subsidy for infrastructure from a city tiff district that covers the site that's tax incremental financing that's money that's dedicated to certain neighborhoods certain projects certain historical renovations And while they were pitching that plan, this is what they are proposing. That the plan is to create an investment funds from housing, bars, restaurants, a 4,000 spot parking garage, and parks around the stadium from the state subsidy to create funding back to the state. The White Sox hope to use a 2% hotel occupancy fee to pay the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority. That's the entity that is used for constructing sports stadiums. And that also includes guaranteed rate field and what was going on for Soldier Field. So that money is 
is dedicated to pay off all that debt. And on the Bears front, this comes just a few days after the Cook County Tax Authorities valued the team's proposed stadium site at nearly $124.7 million. That's an estimated 10 to $11 million increase that the Bears were not anticipating. The ruling also came in substantially lower than the $160 million valuation sought out by the local school districts in Arlington Heights. And now this has created the conversation about the Bears using the South Lot and what kind of tax breaks, subsidies, type of bonds they can get. Mind you, while all this is going on, the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority still owes nearly $500 million through 2032 on public bonds issued for the renovation of Soldier Field. So as you can see, that's a lot to break down. And that's just the most recent news. So that is why we are so excited for you to hear our conversation with economics professor at Smith College, Massachusetts, Andrew Zimbalis, as he breaks down why billionaires use relocation strategy to move their team, what the actual economic impact will be on the taxpayers and the fan base, why some ploys used in these scenarios are lies, and what you can look out for, not only as a fan, but as a taxpayer, as these negotiations are going on. So enjoy our interview with economics professor at Smith College, Massachusetts, Andrew Zimbalis, here on the Sports Keep It Go. I'm Mike Mercado. Andrew Zimbalis, economics professor at Smith College, joins us here on the Sports Cubicle. I want to get your thoughts on this because you're somebody who we've been so excited to talk with. You had a talk with the people at Colorado State a few years back about the honeymoon phase, about what it means for a team to build this new stadium and what it's going to take for a stadium to actually impact the economy. What do you mean by that for fans who are just coming into this only as Bears fans, only as White Sox fans that don't really have an idea of what's really going to impact them if these deals go through? One of the things that will impact the fans right away is that it's unquestionable that ticket prices will go up. Part of part of the reason why team owners want to have a new stadium is because they introduce more club seats and more luxury boxes. And there are, then there are also fewer regular seats because there are fewer regular seats uh, the demand supply equation pushes those prices up as well. So one of the things that will happen unquestionably is that uh, ticket prices will go up and one shouldn't be surprised if you also see concessions and, and some other prices go up as well. So that will impact the fans. Um, beyond that, there's, there's not likely to be much of an economic push uh, or an economic gain for the, the city of Chicago um, with, with new stadiums. You know, football stadiums are used uh, for these days, roughly 10, 10 football games a year and, and maybe another 10 or on the outside 15 concerts from the likes of Taylor Swift and others. Um, but so you're talking about using, using a stadium, football stadium for maybe 25 um, days a year. That means that uh, 340 days are dark. It's not being used, and you know most most retailers and and restaurants and and hotels and even commercial buildings uh, don't find it advantageous to to locate next to a football stadium under under that kind of very irregular and infrequent usage. Um, baseball, obviously, the numbers are higher because you've got 81 regular season home games. Um, but still, a baseball stadium by itself is, you know, you're talking about talking about 100 days out of 365 days. And, and of course, e- either the football stadium uh, to be used by the MLS team or baseball stadium to be used for uh, 
local high school tournaments or college games or whatever, you can add a little bit to the, those numbers, but you're, you're still talking about a stadium that occupies somewhere in the neighborhood of um, eight to 10 acres for the stadium itself. And then especially for football, you have uh, much more than that, more than the eight or 10 acres for, for parking. Uh, and baseball, you probably have a bunch of parking area too, and you have infrastructure uh, that, that takes up land. Uh, so you, you're taking up a lot of land. Um, the, the, the financing uh, deal that's usually offered is, is one where, uh, and this, this has been the case for Reinsdorf with, with the White Sox and with McCaskey for, for the Bears, um, the financing has, has been largely public. In the, in the case of the renovation of Soldier Field back in 2002, two-thirds of it was public money, and one-third came from, from the NFL. McCaskey, as far as I understand, did not put up anything. Um, but look, the reason why McCaskey and Reinsdorf want new stadiums is because they think they'll generate more revenue for their team and increase their profits, and they should be making healthy contributions here. I mean, look what just happened in Englewood, Los Angeles, where, where Stan Kroenke built, built a new stadium, SoFi. He put $5 billion of private money into that, $5 billion of private, and he's putting additional money into the surrounding area. Um, there wasn't any public money. Um, and so, you know, it can be done. You talk, in the case of the Bears, you're talking about a team that's uh, eval evaluated uh, at, at over $5 billion. Um, you know that, of course, you know that Hallis bought that team originally, Senior Hallis bought it originally for $100. Um, so there's enough private money there to, to chip in. And the, the short, you know, the short answer is that the economic scholarship on stadium building by itself uh, is is not very encouraging. Uh, you, you cannot anticipate a positive economic gain. If you if the city of Chicago is convinced, if the people of the city of Chicago are convinced that the Bears will leave the city and the White Sox will leave the city if there's not a new stadium, then the argument really to provide some public support is this is a, this is a culturally uh, culturally attractive element of the community of, of Chicago. Uh, you know, enri it enriches the lives of at least not everybody would necessarily believe that, but I think there is an argument that it, it, it enriches the community. It, it, it creates a deeper sense of community, gives people more, more ties to each other, more things that they can enjoy together. So that's the value. It's not an economic value. And what really needs to be thought about uh, when, when Chicago is approached or Illinois is approached for new public funds to build yet another stadium, yet another new stadium, it shouldn't be uh, hey, this is going to be an economic boon for the city. It's not going to be. Uh, it should be. It, how much is it worth to us culturally to to keep these teams here? And on that basis, uh, there could be some public contribution. But one has to be very careful because obviously there there are lots and lots of public needs, and you don't want to be um, in, squandering the public resources that you have to help a billionaire get a little bit richer rather than who knows building new schools or new housing or, or polyclinics or whatever. Andrew Zimbalist, economics professor at Smith College, Massachusetts. This is exactly why we wanted you on here in Chicago, because there's just so many reign of emotions going on for people. And there's just so many different ways of life from the White Sox leaving the South Side and essentially Jerry Reinsdorf throwing that fan base that has really propped them up 
for so many years and trying to jump on this 78th project and what's going on with the bears and the school district is all just fascinating. And it's something we hope to have you on many more times over the next year or so. But I want to ask you this one. When did billionaires figure this out, this script out, this talking about economic impact reports and getting these subsidies and getting these bonds? Was it 10, 15 years ago when billionaires were able to figure out that they can use the emotions of sports fans, the civic pride? When did that become the ultimate grip of buying real estate and buying into these exclusive clubs? Well, so I think that that whole process began in the early 1950s in baseball. Um, when you had, after 52 season, 53, 54 season, you had the Philadelphia A's moving to Kansas City. You had the Boston Braves moving to Milwaukee. And what, what those, and eventually in 57, you have the, the, the Dodgers and the Giants moving from New York to California. Uh, what, what that movement created, and it was the first time many baseball teams had moved since the creation of, of Major League Baseball in 1903, uh, was what, actually, it was the merging of the National League and the American League in 1903. It's the first time you had teams moving. They discovered that, you know, the population had grown a lot in the United States between 1903 and, and 1950s, and the income level had grown even more. And so there were a lot of wealthy cities out there that were quite capable of hosting baseball teams. Uh, but the number of baseball teams was the same. It was stayed at 16, all of those five decades or six decades uh, and, and so the demand from cities to host teams uh, was growing faster, much faster than the supply, which was basically stagnant. And that gave owners some leverage and owners started to notice that. And when one owner got a subsidy, the next owner wanted to get a subsidy. So that happened. And there was a big building boom in the 60s and 70s. And then it started all over again in 1992 with Camden Yards. Some might refer back to the new Comiskey Park in 1991 uh, as starting a new trend of building stadiums in downtown areas rather than building them in the suburbs. And as that happened and, and television contracts exploded, the franchise values went higher and higher. So I think the process started in the 50s, but it's just gotten deeper and deeper uh, over the decades. Uh, and that's where we are today. Andrew, professor, this was absolutely amazing. Shout out to that amazing article you did on stadiums as public investments. That was such a great read. Shout out to your sons for the two Escobars. That oh. was an amazing duck. That was great. So Chicago, we found ourselves a great smart person that's going to make us smarter in this entire situation. Before we let you go, you're super busy. Any final words for Chicago in this situation to keep an eye out? Because while there's a lot of pretty renderings and AI, artificial intelligent arts and PR groups working to make it look cool, anything for the citizens, the taxpayers, sports fans, everybody to keep an eye out during this process with two stadiums? All sorts of things, all sorts of ways that public money can be hidden. So it appears like there's no public contribution, but in fact, there is. So one of the ways that that happens is you can make land available uh, for development at below market prices or, or even for free. Uh, and you can give them long-term long tax exemptions, tax abatements. Uh, and so it doesn't look like the city is putting any money out, but in fact, they are indirectly. You just can't see it. But that's just one of many areas. You, you, you need to bring in some people who understand this well and are sitting down at the negotiating table on behalf of the city. Economics professor at Smith College, Massachusetts. He is Andrew Zimbalis. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on the Sports Cubicle in Chicago. You have no idea what a treasure you have been for us. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you very much. Nice to say that. Bye-bye.
We keep things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's the one. He's the only. He's Devin Tingle. And Devin, it has been a very serious here on the Sports Cubicle the last few weeks. But you have brought us some awesome vibes on this segment of the Sports Cubicle. What do we have coming up here? Well, this is like when your preschool teacher brings in their special friend that just happens to have an accordion. You're like, what the heck is this about? I promise you guys, there's no accordion music here. So, Mike, I might need a little bit of help here because I'm not I'm not fully sure how to introduce our next guest here. I could say he's the front man of the Semple Band. He's the front man of the Siberium. He was one of the winners of the 2002 show Pop Stars. He was almost on American Idol. He was on The Voice. He was Team Adam Levine. You know, he opened for Bon Jovi and Kid Rock at Soldier Field. I guess, Keith, what's the best way to introduce yourself? How do I say? Should I just say Keith Semple? Or is there a specific title you want us to have underneath there? Oh, I don't think I've earned a title quite yet, but uh, but I like what you said. I mean, you, you hit a lot of the, the main points there. Yeah. Keith, thank you for joining us so much, by the way. And, I mean, I've only touched on, what, I'd say maybe an eighth of his resume, Keith, if I just everything listed there. Yeah, there's, I've, I've, I'm older than I look. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> so I've done a lot. Uh, you know, I started professionally performing at in 96, so pretty much – from 97 i've been you know making a living at it and and uh finding ways to make it successful so you know being here in america what 17 years and almost left when trump got elected but i managed to stay <laughs> so uh, i'm still here and uh yeah working working hard on it and it's going really well yeah so keith my big question is really when do you have time to sleep with all these activities here i mean i won't re- say your real <laughs> age here i mean 96 i think our host uh marver was alive at that point maybe the only one on the show maybe paul give yeah. or take but you've just got so many you know different projects going on you've done so much here i mean what does it feel like to accomplish so much in just we'll say seven we'll say 19 years you've been in america for 17 years so we'll make you 19 today that's brilliant that's <laughs> yeah I was, I was a really smart two-year-old um you know what? It, it, I just like music. I am very, you know, it's been my life. Basically, I have three things that I'm passionate about, which is music, tennis, which is a whole other conversation. I used to play tennis for Ireland many moons ago, and I still love it. I still coach here in Illinois. And then, unfortunately, I'm passionate about politics mm-hmm. and uh, religion and things like that. And I'm decided I would make a difference finally a couple about a year ago and started my own podcast on them on the subject so it's a secular podcast and uh, it's called the simple truth what else could I call it's it it's a wonderful that's a uh, great name you know exactly yeah, right yeah. and uh, so I'm all these things are keeping me real busy but I like to be busy when it's stuff I like and care about very much so Keith so I guess you kind of did a little bit but tell our listeners who don't necessarily know who you are like a little bit about yourself your music you know it's like like you said you know before recording, he said, "I, you know, I'm not just some musician who has a podcast. I'm a musician who's also very interested in the political, religious sort of field here. So just what would you want our listeners to know? Like if you had to be like, hey, I'm part of Semple Band. Like what is Semple Band, the Siberian? Who is Keith Semple? Yeah, so Semple Band, um, I mean, I moved here in 06, and that was to join the local band that most people would have heard of called Seventh Heaven. So I, I moved, and I, yeah, Mike's like, yep, oh, I know Oh, that man, yeah. So I played with them from 06 to 2014, basically. So it's coming up on, you know, 10 years since then. But uh, essentially, it's it's mostly covers, but we do do originals, same with Semple Band. But it got to 2018, basically, and I was like, wow, it's... Like I, I got the 2022, I guess, sort of as COVID was coming out. And I was like, okay, I've, it's been five years since I released any of my own pop 
material instead of doing my other stuff, which is this prog rock, um, kind of really complicated rock. It's I call it kind of d- nerd rock for dads. Is kind of what it <laughs> is because that. it's it's mostly for musicians or whatever. But I mean, there's a big genre for it. But I was like, you know, why am I not releasing more and more music all the time? And so this year, 2024, is my like music year. Like, I'm releasing at least six separate singles all year, every six weeks. So the first one came out there a few weeks ago. My next one comes out on March 15th, and then, you know, every six weeks from then. And I've picked, basically, they're all Keith, they're all pop, but they're all a different style of pop. So the first one that you're, you know, we're going to hear today live and uh, and recorded is uh, called Game Over, and it's purely like a pop dance song that you would hear, like, you know, Dua Lipa or one of these kind of artists do. The next one is very Imagine Dragons oriented. It's kind of big and monstrous sounding, and it's actually all about climate change. Uh, It's called No Place Like Home. So I don't normally combine my you know, uh, current affairs with my pop music, but that one just fell into place. And then there's like, you know, one that sounds like kind of like Neon Trees and one that sounds kind of like John Mayer. And But it's all Keith, if you know what I'm saying. So how are you able to disconnect the two? Because I understand, like, we try to find our outlet so that we can decompress from what's going on or what is giving us anxiety. But a, a lot of us, whether, you know, you're an athlete or you're somebody like us, just lowly little radio host or any a- anything that you're doing where you're trying to use that outlet to tell your story or to bring what's going on around there to a different audience. How are you able to, or is was that a deliberate decision to make sure that what's going on in my current affairs, that's why I have the simple truth. Was that a conscious decision you made heading into this phase of your career? Essentially, yes. Because like I said, I, my pretty much my escapes are my pop music and my tennis. And, you know, obviously tennis, like anybody knows that plays a, a sport, is it? it's not only a sport, it's a decompress. It's a get all your anxiety out, it's get all your energy out, it's burning all that stress. So the the Siberium though, that's my prog rock band, it allows me to delve into those sub- subjects though, like in in music, which is rare. There's not many um, you know, uh, styles of music that let you really get deep. And Siberium's great because our new album is coming out on May 10th and there's a song on there called Double X, which is all about which I wrote the week that the Roe versus Weird opinion came down. Mm. And I was like so mad at the the sort of um, direction this country has taken. It feels like we're getting it. It feels like we're getting in the time machine and going, you know, back to 1955. Right. And I'm like, I wrote it and it's called Double X. And it's basically just my way of getting right to the point with music about how annoyed I am that, you know, old guys are ruining the world for everyone else, essentially, especially women. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, I do get my outlets to do that. And as you say, the simple truth allows me to let people know how I'm feeling on the big issues as well. What about 2024? And knowing that in this country, you know, you've been here, like I said, you're 19 years old today, but uh, the 17 years you've been here and the life you've experienced before you got here and seeing what was going up in Ireland, like there's been a lot of different phases and and vibes throughout just the last five years, let alone the last 20, 25 years. But 2024, does that, does the anxiety of what's going to happen in November, everything leading up to it, does it motivate you to put yourself more in your art, into your outlets, whether it is to say a message or not? Do you use that anxiety in different ways? How are you channeling it? I know for me, for an example, I'm channeling in the children's book that I'm writing or oh, here with the cool. boys here for the sports cubicle with my family, friends, stuff like that, right? But is this what you're trying to do as well in this year where a lot of people are dealing with a lot of heavy anxiety? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I I was 
disgusted with this country in 2016. Mm. I was like, I, it's not that I didn't think somebody like Trump could get elected. It's just that after the fi- after the fifth terrible thing he said or did, I was like, okay, it's got to be now. After the 400th terrible thing, right. I was like, it's got to be now. And then it was like, it just got to the point where as he's coming back to try and basically not go to prison for the rest of his life, he's saying things that are so much worse than he even ever said in the past and openly saying it. And I'm like, any other person in that field would have been, um, you know, out for one of the things he said. You know, that whole, um, uh, the what was the, the interview in the bus right at the very start, you know, where he talked about grabbing women mm-hmm. inappropriately. It's like, I mean, that would have been it for anyone else in any generation of, of politics. And for some reason people that were conservative or whatever they just went like eh i don't really care and ironically it was the people who claim to be the most religious that are the ones that care the least that he is it's funny you were saying that because a culture personality comes to mind Mm. and somebody like trump but i think even this field like okay let's say for example musicians and we could talk about actors heck even people like clay travis or dan lebertard in the sports talk world and everybody from tucker carlson to rachel maddow people find people to associate with to find their own type of personality with their own identity with do you struggle with that as a artist as a performer to find that happy medium to embrace and bring in your fan base and to be as open as you can but also understanding that there is a line between hey i'm just a person like i have my opinions i have this but you have to make the morally correct choice don't make me your donald trump or your kim kardashian or that's a good point yeah because the the best way i can describe this is is that I um, I welcome everyone to my shows, regardless of what they believe or feel. Um, they are welcome to come and listen to music. I think music is kind of that neutral thing, especially pop and rock music. It's a neutral thing. Everybody can like it. You know, you can have conservative or very liberal people that both love Dua Lipa or whatever it is, or Bon Jovi or whatever. But what I'm noticing more and more now as I express my feelings of how I really feel is I get more and more people saying, oh, well, I can't follow you or come to your shows anymore because you are a liberal, a, you know, democratic socialist, you're an atheist. You're just like, oh, we can't, we can't follow you now. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm the same person I was yesterday that you followed until you knew. And you know me as a good person, a nice person, a friendly person. I always treat, as Devin can attest, who I know from having met at one of my shows and then many, many times after, is he know, you, you would, I hope you would agree with this, that it doesn't matter what kind of mood I'm in or what kind, when I go to that show, Everybody, I'm on. Anybody has time with me. If you want to take a picture, you want to do this. Like people know me as being a friendly guy who doesn't take himself too seriously in that world. You know, I. Yes, it, some people can see me in front of like ten thousand people and go, "Oh, I, I can't take a picture with him. Oh, I'm nervous." But by the time they're finished, they realize, "Oh, he was just like my brother or my dad or whatever." Right? More so like my dad these days than <laughs> than their brother. You know, being nineteen and all. But uh, yeah, so it's it's one of those things where I, I I find it's happening the other way around, and that says a lot. When people aren't wanting to follow me anymore because of my political views, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But I'm old enough now where that just doesn't matter to me, and I think what's more important is the world as a whole and being your little bit of a... Imagine it's like a, a big gobstopper, right? Sure, and you have to yeah. ch- chip away at it bit by yeah. bit. The more people who chip away at it, the quicker and the, and let's just say like the star trek utopia is in the center you know nobody needs money anymore there's no hunger there's you know there's 
well, no racism, no, racism, no homophobia, exactly, transphobia. Right? You get yeah. all that nuts in this perfect little bubble. That only gets there by people, people, everyday people making different choices, like choosing not to hate their brother because he's gay, choosing not to hate their neighbors because they're trans, choosing not to, you know, choosing to invite their their gay uh, neighbors over for the for a barbecue. You see what I mean? These things only change in small ways, and then it. It builds. It's so important that people with platforms and people with microphones and people with a passion like yourself, Keith, that, you know, I, I went to high school at Elk Grove Village. So I'm sure you've done the Rotary Fest and you've done that whole cycle a thousand times. We probably ran into each other a bajillion times over the last few years. And it's one of these things where you've seen the following you have, the demographic, how different it is from gay to straight and everything from the LGBTQ plus community, the demographic of ages from 70 year old grandmas to middle schoolers to the high schoolers to the Harper Hawk, everybody in between. You've seen it that your demographic is everybody. It is a huge one. And that I think that it's a comment to you that you know how important it is to have a microphone. But Dev, what we got going on? Oh, we got a lot of stuff here. First, I do want to actually tell a little bit of fun story about Keith being a very fun and nice guy. I'll never forget one show he was playing and like he really kind of rapidly ended the song and he's like all right thank you guys and he sprints to the bathroom like no tomorrow anyway me and my friends are waiting our tab he comes back out and he's like yeah sorry i didn't that show some night didn't sit right and i said to go throw up really quick dude just puked and sat down to talk with <laughs> to everyone talk to the fans. he's like yeah i might have food poisoning i might be dying but i'm gonna talk to my fans for a few minutes yep. sorry if that's too embarrassing we'll edit that out for you no no there was a worse one <laughs> i <laughs> feel like i have to ask that, now that if... went the other way let's just say uh, um mm-hmm. and i still managed to do that show um i was contemplating uh now you see this is how you can't embarrass me i'm going to show you how i i can't even embarrass myself <laughs> i was contemplating running to the porta potty with the wireless mic and just keep going because I was like, why not? Like, sure. everybody can still hear me the same. And as long as they don't hear what else is What's going, going on, on, I can just keep going. It's no big <laughs> deal, you know. But that's the kind of way I work. It's like, hey, the show must go on queen style. You I know? was about to say, I never <laughs> questioned the artist. All right, so what we got, Dev? Well, first, <laughs> uh, see, that's a nugget right there. Yeah, oh, wait, no, that's a, that's a euphemism right there, yeah. metaphor. Shouldn't say nugget after that conversation. Please, just, you know what, please, let's, <laughs> refrain, let's refrain from nuggets for the next few minutes, okay? Jay and Silent Bob, yeah. here we go. Oh, my goodness. So, Keith, you have, how, what, six, seven albums at least so far? At least, yeah. Not including Siberium as well, yeah. And I do want to actually go into that really quick before we get into the music here, because Siberium was kind of something much different than everything you've done before. And I mean, there are a lot of musicians that kind of do their side projects, and you have, you know, your solo work you've done before. You do a lot of unplugged shows. So I'm just curious, what made you go from something that you say is kind of like that pop rock that is symbol band to that prog rock or that nerdy dad rock that is the Siberium? Like, what made you want to kind of either A, switch, I guess, switch genres, but not leave what, you know, you'd call your safe space i guess right well the funny thing is that's my favorite kind of music now as as mike and davin can see in the studio here i'm covered in tattoos and all the tattoos represent prog bands you know there's pink floyd there's dream theater there's megadeth like these are bands that are progressive rock bands and i've always loved that stuff but i've also always made a living doing different music than that so i was like in 2017 i was like i'm done i want to go and do like even though i'm still doing my popular music i want to go and really release music that i 
like is what I listen to myself. Mm. And so then we've released a product every year since 2018. So this new album that's coming out, it's our third full studio album, but it's our seventh product. Like we had a Blu-ray, live Blu-ray that awesome. we did and, and all the, a couple of live albums and stuff. So um, it just gives me that release. And like, like we were saying earlier, also allows me to talk about subject matter that I can't talk about in the other world. Do you see yourself being the next Taylor Swift, being that huge musician who's a push for the progressive candidates? Oh, my goodness. That would, I mean, I don't need to be that famous. I don't even nice. care about the fame side. Mm -hmm. You know, I've kind of had my toe in that in the past with The Voice and, and winning the TV show back in the UK. Mm. I'm not a big fan of fame, but I it does open doors, and that's what I like about it. So fame opens doors. That's a great side. Everything else about fame pretty much sucks. It's a shame. Ricardo's brother's a football player, and he's looking for a new uh, sugar candy to carry on his arms. <laughs> but uh, Devin, before we, you're so dumb. Burnout. How do you how do you deal with with burnout? I mean, I know the motivation from family to to what's which are, what's in your heart, your brain, creativity, and all that. But how do you avoid burnout? Well, we you know we're talking sports. I mean, sports. Yeah. I I I know people people who hear it who don't do it. Their immediate reaction is, oh, God, they're telling me to go get active. I'm like, mm. you don't understand. Yeah. Like going and getting active. Like I will walk my dogs every day if I can, unless it's really cold and then they're fine. I'll put them outside and they run around. But yeah. for me, I'll either be walking three or four miles a day. I'll be playing a really aggressive, like st I'm still able to luckily to play at a top tennis level. That's good. Uh, um, and and not be in agony for a week. I'm, get, I'm getting to that point. You know, I'm old enough where, you know, the people I'm playing are half my age and they're, they're you know, the best players in the state. So it's like, okay. So, but just being able to get out and burn calories and be out in the air or inside's fine, but that is such a crucial part to avoiding burnout. Being able to have your own time and whether it's in a team or on your own or on a treadmill, whatever. It's so important outside of everything else to have your time to get away and, and and burn some calories sweat and you will feel better i don't care what anybody says you will feel better later and you'll feel better the next day and it's a cumulative thing as well so keith it looks like you brought a guitar with you i and did you're going to be performing a song for us so why don't you tell us a little bit about the song i guess I'll, can i say game over or do you want us you know Drop everything well, for us. Well, it's game over now that you've said it. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Game over, darn it. <laughs> Turn it on, Ricardo. Over, yeah, it's little over. Boom, ksh, in there. Uh, <laughs> We're done. It's game over. Keith's leaving. Yeah. I'm done. Um, so, yeah, I I wanted to... I've been loving the stuff that we've been doing in Simple Band recently live, like the Dua Lipa, um, the uh, Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake, all that kind of vibe. So what I did was I basically, you'll notice it. See, I don't know if I want to mention this because now you'll, it's what you'll notice when you hear the song. I basically took four styles that I like and went squish. So like this song is basically, it's me doing my thing my way, but with a hint of Dua Lipa, with a hint of um, Bruno Mars' Uptown Funk, with a hint even because of the riff of In Excess Need You Tonight, and then also kind of... Um, can't stop the feeling it's it's that upbeat happy even though the lyrics are about saying i'm done with a relationship so to speak it's still a very uplifting fun uh and the music video too if anybody wants to check it out you could go to i guess the youtube channel type in keith simple on youtube um i did a funny video where i'm i'm interacting on a green screen with old um 80s and 90s computer games 
so it's that's also cool. a fun video yeah, so yeah. I, I, that's why and you know like i said earlier all the different songs each one now is going to come out and they're obviously clearly keith but they're keith with a twist on what i like of all the different artists that i like at the minute out there so that's what game over is it's a, it's just all these artists that i'm liking that perform right now squished into one song would you like to play it for us yeah i could do that for you
And we're keeping things rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. He's Devin Tingo. He's Keith Simple. That was an absolutely amazing treat to hear live in the studio. And Keith, where can everybody find all your work right now after listening to that? If they aren't hype, they, then something's wrong with them. They don't have a pulse. Before we get back to, uh, to, to a cool conversation we're having, where can people support you? Yeah, I mean, they can find everything at simpleband.com. That's S-E-M-P-L-E, my last name. Uh, and then, of course, if they type in Keith Simple anywhere that they stream music, so Spotify, Apple Music. Now, you know, talking about age, I, I didn't really push that side of things in my life before, so I'm only really starting now, even though I've had a long career, I'm only starting to push the online streaming side of my career. So I'd really mostly appreciate if everybody could go and follow me on wherever it is, and then also, you know, add one of my songs, maybe this one, to their playlists and share it with friends. I mean, that's the way a career is going to take off as if everybody likes the songs, they share it and they put it on their playlist. And Keith, don't forget, where can they find your podcast again? Yeah, it's The Simple Truth. So they could either, either go thesimpletruth.buzzsprout.com. I'll say that in American, buzzsprout.com. <laughs> uh, or they can just go to simpletruth.com without the the. So simpletruth.com because some some guy I'm not very fan of right now had already taken that always. URL for some reason. Always, always, why. always. And so. always want some crazy amount of money to get it back. Uh, yeah. Trust me, I went through it a little bit. Yeah, I literally yeah, I got it. the simple truth and every single thing except the website link. Give it to I'm our like, man. Really? Give it to our man. Yeah, if you're right there right now <laughs> and you're listening. We know where you live, Brian Simple. <laughs> but Keith, you have six new songs coming out? I do at least. I might even do seven. Um, and it's my plan is every six weeks throughout the year, give or take. So my first question, I guess, can you tell us about those six or seven new songs you were having released? Oh, yeah. Um, first one, obviously, we just did is Game Over. The second one's called No Place Like Home. It comes out on March 15th, and it's all about climate change. Um, I really like it. It's this big, big, epic feel to it, kind of like um, Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. It's got that big feel, you know, that big vocal choruses, lots of harmonies. Um, next one is really fun. It's kind of neon trees-ish. It's called We Want It All, and it's just a real upbeat really driving rock pop song and then there's a ballad after that called all i had which is a very john mayer inspired thing nice guitar solos real drum kits i i played everything on it i took my time on it made sure it was really perfect and then after that you'll just have to wait <laughs> i love it that, is, that is a pros pro right there my friend translation we don't fully know yet no no, no that's, a, that's a secret no that's a i know i've recorded them already but I'm not, I'm not giving any more away and goes into my next question keith why one song every six weeks why one song every six weeks opposed to just dropping a whole new album right here mm -hmm. because i guess that's just not I guess it's 2024, you know, like uh, these people, like you said, like Taylor Swift and these people, they just drop a song without anybody even knowing. It how just crazy is out. that? Like, how crazy is that that like Beyonce could drop a country album just one day after like nothing, like as if it yeah. was nothing with no, just on her own brand. Yeah. The only downside to this industry now is that the machine that runs it, mm. the machine is like people like me struggle because when my song drops, the algorithm goes, oh, great. When a Taylor Swift song drops, sure. all hell breaks loose sure. and it gets on every playlist and every place in the world and it's instantly a hit, even if it's a good or not. Mike and I are not Taylor Swift fans, but new song or album drops out and our Spotify is advertising big you know, Taylor Swift in 1989 at us. And I love the Swifties. I love, you know, what Absolutely. she's done with like the career and how she took a lot of power from 
the label companies, but I agree with you. It's kind of like what's happening in sports where the middle class has been kind of taken away because there's just the haves and the have-nots. And is yeah. that the same thing you're seeing in the music it, industry? It is in the streaming world. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm lucky that my career as a live musician yeah. pays, you know, for my life and I'm comfortable. But, like, you know, there's not many musicians that have that have reached that level. And then streaming is just one of those things is it only goes to the people that 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 it goes to, yeah. and it's only going to pick up. And if some random person has some big playlist and goes, "Oh, I like that song," so it's so much of a potluck thing. Whereas, so it's that twist, right? Now, back in the day, you had people like the Eagles and the Beatles, and they were there was ten of them taken by record companies. Neither and and they were built up to, and there was lots of money put into them. Now, everybody and their grandma can release a song millions of songs released every day but the chances of it getting heard unless you're already successful or somebody the right person sees you is you know dropping a bucket thing so mm. i'm doing it because i want to and i've got a big enough following that people like it and they do it but at the same time i really believe in this stuff this year like this is the best stuff i've written at popular music stuff in years and i love it and i'm like how do i get this out to the world how do i let everybody else hear it because i'm you know if you don't believe in your music what's the point Right. I believe that if this was dropped today, if Game Over was dropped and it was Dua Lipa singing it, it would be a mega hit. Simple as that. And I I don't have any embarrassment saying that because I believe in the song and I think there's loads of artists out there that are the same. I know a lot of artists that are unbelievably talented that I call them bedroom McCartney's. People that nobody will ever know about that are just as talented as any of the people you see in the music world. So, mm. Mercado, I mm. think we need to do help Paul. Uh, help Paul? No. We do. Paul does need help. And <laughs> well, Paul McCartney doesn't. Yeah, we need to help Keith. So, I got an idea, Keith, if you're interested. What we're going to do, remember when the Beatles did that concert on a rooftop? Sure. We're going to get Keith on top of the rooftop of WCPT slash WNDZ here. He's going to do a live show from our roof. We're going to talk to management right after this. This isn't an episode of The Simpsons, but I am down to do it anyway. Just I only to have on the one roof. caveat. Yeah. It's between June and August. See, my man. <laughs> You've lived here long enough to understand that, my man. Because uh, elevation and outside yeah. do not bode well for me right now in February, you know. Although the, the, the weather we've had, I mean, it was 70 degrees three days ago. Who knows? It might be 99 by the time of climate change. Yeah. Speaking of climate change, huh? like, yeah. Yeah, you I, know, I, I love how it was 75 degrees a couple of days ago. So for those who are listening, we're just doing random selfies as we chat here. Well, I should say I'm doing it. And that's the beauty of it, right? Like, you've had a lot of fun with your career. That you're not just known for one thing, right? Like, I've heard this from my wife, right, when we talk about starting a family. It's she's worked really hard to have to get a doctorate. You know, she's worked really hard to to get all these degrees to become a professor. And when we have children, she doesn't want the only thing to be, like, mother. She wants all the things that she's worked really hard for. And I think somebody like you really is a great example of trying different things, allowing yourself to do different things, to be embraced in different communities. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now, not just with music, not just with live touring and and what you're doing with the podcast, but in your heart, what is the next project that you kind of have an itch for? Is there something, because I know a lot of people in, in in the creative world is, we're always looking for the next thing, whether it's to jump, if you're a musician, into acting, so from acting to comedy, mm-hmm. comedy to wrestling, wrestling to presidential election. What is, what is something that you see yourself doing or that you're kind of eyeing well, for the future? It's funny you say because really all I want to do is I want to build up the podcast to be able to be maybe, you know, a presenter, something like this, you know, Stephanie or Tom or these guys that are doing this because I feel like I have a voice that I want to, you know, I, I do know about current affairs and I am interested and I do have a kind of, you know, a unique 
certainly from an American perspective, a unique look of having lived the first 25 years of my life in a different country that's completely different and seeing the right, the good things about this country and the bad and being able to openly say about them. But, you know, what you were saying about your wife, though, is I, 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 I always tell people like I have uh, I have kids, I have a 10 year old and an eight year old. And the the what make I think that you will be a better parent if you have your own things to focus on as well. And the problem is that a lot of a lot of modern parents, as soon as they have kids, they just, that's it. They think like, okay, now it's their turn. I'm like, no, no, they can they can grow up and have their lives, but your life does not end mm-hmm. when you have a children. And actually you'll be a better parent if you are happy inside. And so I'm going off and doing all these things, but I still have plenty of time to spend with my daughters. I have a great relationship with my daughters, also because I'm happy. Mm. I'm a happy person. So that translates to them and they, they get a happy dad. How many people are, you know, working all day, coming home and they're exhausted and they're like, oh, can I just watch TV? That doesn't happen in our house. You see what I mean? So I would, you know, say I like that's a really good point that your wife is making. You know, she doesn't have to give up any of the hard work she's done. There's ways to make it all work as a parent. So and then, as you say, going forward, just see more of the same of what I'm doing and hoping that I can still play tennis at the level I do for as long as I physically can before my body just goes, okay, give it a break. That's enough. Yeah. So we'll see how long that lasts. You're an awesome dude. You're a good brother. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. All right, Keith, we've gone way over our time here. So I'm going to try and ask you three questions in one here. Now, this is very cliche. Please don't hate me. So I guess my first of the three questions is what advice do you have for anyone who's trying to become a musician? What advice do you have for anyone who's trying to become a podcaster? And what advice do you have for anyone who wants to be a great tennis player? Oh, rip. Okay. Music is learn your craft. You can never be too good. Um, write all the time because you don't know whether the next song is going to be um, the, the hit that somebody wants or whatever. And, and keep going. Um, on podcast, I would say is make sure you're comfortable uh, socially, so you can have a conversation like we're having, right. and know when to ask the question, know what you're trying to get from the person, um, and then tennis is again mostly just repetition and re- repeat, and don't get too f- filled with your own boots that you think you can't be given advice by people who maybe aren't as good as you, because at the end of the day, you know when you get to a certain level at any sport, the person who's coaching you is not as good as you anymore. Right. You get to that level and you got to understand that they have advice and experience that you don't have. But what I would say most importantly, and this sucks, by the way, Mm. on all of those things, especially the music and and podcasting is learn how this modern algorithm works digitally, because I don't know. And I'm just slight. I'm like 10 years older than that generation who, who grew up with a permanent digital life. And so I'm like, I don't know when I'm meant to post. I don't know what hashtags I'm meant to do. I don't know when. And these are things that if you learn it, you can make a career doing anything. There's guys out there that all they do is make big like domino setups and then record themselves dropping it. Mm -hmm. And they're making money because people want to advertise on their channel. It's literally you could whatever you're good at. There's girls out there that I see they're living in camper vans and they're doing these amazing drawings and artistry and stuff. I'm like, that sounds brilliant. Right. It's the dream. There's a million who don't know how to do it. Mm. If you can master how this, you know, how to um, get yourself out there online, you're you can do anything you want as a living. Go do it. That's great. Mercado. um, Actually, no, 
Keith, closing thoughts before we wrap this up, before Paul starts yelling at us for going overtime and management <laughs> drags us out of the studio. Uh, closing thoughts is, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, be proud of who you are. And that's the main thing. Like, I'm proud of being a progressive, liberal, secularist, um, democratic socialist. And don't let anybody tell you that this country, America, shouldn't be that way. And then as far as anything music and that related to is just go enjoy whatever music you like. And mostly, can everybody just be nice to each other, regardless of what color skin or what they do for a living or what their uh, sexual orientation is because the world would be a much better place if we all just remember that everybody is going through stuff right uh, mercado Preach. i think i figured out what we can finally call keith semple so keith semple this will not be the first time you hear this man on wcbta 20. that's a great call uh, this has been an amazing experience i know for a lot of people who are locally this is going to be a treat i know a lot of people are going to be wanting to support you i am so excited for what you have coming and all the work you've done and it this was an absolute treat and can't wait to have you back in studio a few months from now when you're even more successful with the podcast even more successful with all these drops that you're doing even more successful than already a successful person can be and this goes to show you talk about being a good person great example right here all the talent in the world all the outlets in the world and still finds a way to be a humble good dude and i think that's what's most important in a year 2024 where we're seeing a lot of garbage and a lot of hate spewed that this was a, a great time and uh proud of everything you're doing brother thank you for for joining us here this was amazing Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Devin. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank you all for listening. That wasn't even the full Keith Semple interview, if you can believe it. So if you want to hear that interview in its entirety, please head to our SoundCloud where we post the full episode of all of our shows, soundcloud.com slash WCPT820. We also post all of our segments up on YouTube. Just search at the Sports Cubicle on YouTube. We have all of our segments, everything you've heard on this show there, as well as more content that can't make it onto the show. So we are always cranking out new content here on the Sports Cubicle. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. And as always, for Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. Thank you for listening so long and we will see you next week.